let's go ahead and jump into this tonight. So we had a good time in last week's meeting about processing pain. And that's going to be released along with like the four or five other ones. So we've been talking about that. Still having some technical difficulties. We're still working to get those taken care of. So in a couple of weeks, those should be those should be out. But last week was awesome about processing pain and just from a kingdom perspective, how to be able to leverage that pain and process it accordingly. I had some awesome stuff. People getting I mean, people had a man get born again last weekend. Dominique came here, got born again. It was awesome, awesome. People in freedom, people coming out, exposing stuff. It was amazing. It was really cool. We will not meet next weekend, the 23rd, but we'll most likely meet the following weekend, which is the 30th. That obviously could change. But um, so, yeah, and be praying. If y'all would, I, so I've got to do a funeral tomorrow that I, I'm not looking forward to. I'll be honest. I would rather do, this sounds weird, but I would rather do a funeral than a wedding. But I'm th- this 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 funeral is different. The man committed suicide in a very not that any good way to commit suicide, but it probably one of the one of the worst ways. And the family's having a very hard time with it. So they've asked me to to officiate that. So I'll, they'll, we'll be doing that tomorrow. Just be praying for the family on that. And then Monday, I'm jumping in with preacher Timothy. He's for some some I don't know exactly how. But one of his spiritual sons got him hooked up. He's going to some college camp, Virginia Tech college yeah. campus. Is it like a frat house he's preaching in? I don't know. Well, they're not in like, school's not in there right now. So I don't think they have access to the house. I think it's. So, I, yeah. So I guess they're like doing like a. Um, I don't really know what it is. I don't know. So he's got invited somehow to preach on the, the campus and in some frat house <laughs> from what it sounds like. Go ahead and get him. In some frat house, so we're gonna we're gonna jump into that. We got sandwiches afterwards, like always, and tonight's gonna be a little different. Tonight will be more of just kind of a family talk, not a dialogue, talking back and forth, but just a monologue of me talking to y'all to share some decisions that we've we've made for this family, this house of Canaan land. And also some of the reasoning behind it. I mentioned last weekend that we would talk about whether we're getting a building and not and all that this weekend. So that that's what a lot of this is, is coming from. And I felt the Lord give us some the green light to go into some some detail why. Which is a lot of times the Lord doesn't. A lot of times God will, will tell us, tell me to do something or and not let me tell the people why. But tonight he's he's I feel a real green light to talk about that and some some reason why we do things what we do them and what we're going to be doing going forward and just some reasoning behind. So transitioning into a building is the right step, but it might not be the right step for right now. I believe it, it it's supposed to be a part of this and seeing some things that God has shown me about what just more of the opportunity and the intention and what he plans to do as a result of when we do move into a building. He showed me that. I, I believe it's true and all. 
concerned, and I, I, so I believe everything that that, that that step is right. But while I feel it is right, I don't feel that it's the right step for right now, just for where we are right now. As we've been learning in Galatians 4, where the Bible says that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under the guardian and stewards until the time appointed of the father. As we've been learning through that teaching and revelation of righteousness, specifically out of that passage, the right thing at the wrong time can end up producing the wrong thing. So the right thing at the wrong time can actually be the wrong thing. And I don't believe it's the best decision right now. And I'm going to explain why the primary reason for this with us not getting building isn't what, what most people would think. Why most people would think, uh, oh, it's because of money. And while the church as it is could not afford rent somewhere, like we had talked about, me and Ellie had planned on carrying pretty much all of that rent and paying for the whole building rent out of our, out of our personal pocket. That would be above and beyond um, what we consistently and regularly so into Canaan land financially. And while current finances were not the primary motive in us not getting a building right now, because as we mentioned, it is possible financially. It was, it was a small part of it because of stability or sustainability, I should say, about sustainability. I was talking to, to somebody a while back and his spiritual father, He's the spiritual son of, of, and has a spiritual father. His spiritual father built before they, they begin construction on the sanctuary there and now built a pretty much top of the line daycare facility first. And the, the spiritual son told me, he said, I would come out here at times and, and help him work on it. The spiritual father started building the daycare before he broke ground on the sanctuary while the church was renting somewhere else up the road. And the spiritual father would look at the spiritual son and say, we're doing this because of sustainability. He said every day, every day he'd go out there to work with him. All he would look at him and say is, this is because of sustainability. Because that church, because the vision that he had got received from the Lord, the spiritual father, the church, what the church was bringing in would not be financially able to carry it. The spiritual father financially could. The spiritual father could pay it out of pocket, but after he's gone, the church wouldn't be able to pay the light bill. So the spiritual father says, that's the vision, but we need a step for it to be able to have an infrastructure for that. So every day he would tell them, this is about sustainability. That's all he would say. And it took the spiritual son years to, to see that. And... I want this church for when we take that step to be just in a more solid place financially and not to have to wipe out everything to out of the, the church's account to get in a place to rent somewhere, to pay security deposits and you know buy more chairs and do carpet and paint, pay to turn on the power, all that all that goes with that. We could do that. We can, we can do that right now. But it would take everything out of the church. And I don't feel 
that's the right step for right now. Does that make sense? So, to be honest, if, if the Lord had said, yes, empty it out and do it, then we would, without question, because, I mean, we've, we've done that before. We've emptied it all before based on the word of the Lord of what he says to do. And I felt that it would be okay if we did it for this. I didn't, I didn't feel from the Lord to say him to say, yes, do this. And I didn't feel from the Lord to say, no, don't. I felt we could do this, but that he had, he had some, he has something better for us in the right time. What I feel specifically is, and this, and this is also for those listening because some aren't here that obviously are part of this. But what I feel specifically is that we are to take the next six months and we get very intentional with our giving. So pretty much the rest of this year is what I felt from the Lord is for, for we individually to come together collectively to do our six-month time of sowing, to be intentional about sowing in the Canaan land with, with beyond what we have in the past. And me and Ellie, this goes for us as well. I mean, we're also making a commitment to do this as well. I've never been one of those preachers that try to manipulate people for money. I've just, I've, I've, I've never done that. Or to put all the pressure solely on the people in a negative sense. Because we've seen that. We've all seen that before. God wants you, I remember listening to a guy once, God wants you to sow a thousand dollar seed. And I'm sitting there watching him. He's like, I remember this. And I believe there's somebody else on this community. But I didn't have a kitchen table. And I didn't have a kitchen table when I was listening to the Joker. And he was talking about some stuff. And I believe somebody's watching this right now. And you're seeing this financial. And I'm like, yeah, he's, my God, maybe, you know, he might be getting some words of wisdom here. The man's right. And he said, God wants you. You, I'm talking to you. If I'm talking, God wants you to sow a thousand dollars. I said, he ain't talking to me. There must be somebody else watching this who ain't got a kitchen table. Somebody else in the position I am. God don't want me to sell a thousand dollars. I don't have a thousand dollars in the bank when I was watching that. I said, he ain't, he ain't talking to me. And I can't stand that. I heard a story once. It's old, old woman. She, she, she talked about how she was at a revival meeting. And she said, the guest preacher got up there and said, and they were interviewing some, some, some testimonies. Guest preacher got up there and said, there is somebody here who has their light bill money in their, in their pocket and God wants you to give it tonight. And she was telling him, she said, I had just enough money for my power bill. And that, that was the money in the envelope in my pocket. And the guy, he said, well, well, well tell me what happened, sister. What did you get? She said, I did. He said, what, what happened? She said, my power got turned off. That's what happened. And the interviewer didn't know what does. He said, do what? Whole voice changed. He said, do, do what? She said, I said, my whole, my power got turned off. That's what happened. I couldn't pay it. And he said, uh, oh. And she said, and I learned then, don't do something unless God tells you to do it. That's my testimony. Y'all have a good day. And But there are those that have manipulated that and everything. And one thing, like I said, I don't want to put pressure 
on people. I don't want us to get in that. I don't want it to weigh us down. I don't want us, I don't want to get into that position where it's too much weight on the people to where it's not sustainable to have a large overhead like that and everything. And like I said, I, I've, I've never been one to do that. And I know I haven't, I haven't taught much on tithing or sowing and reaping. And I, and I need to, and we will, we will going further to bring a true, pure kingdom perspective to that, to understand the power that it leverages. But it just hasn't been on the forefront because in a lot of ways, that's what, that's what a lot of, when you go to church, that that's what happens a lot. It's all, it's all about money because they got to pay the fire. They got to pay the light bill. You know, you got you to pay for stuff. And I've never been one to be concerned with, with that and try to try to push that on people. Um, and I'm not going to. So, and we are going to teach about that going forward. But we all should be invested here physically, mentally, emotionally, and financially. But like I said, I, I don't want... I don't want us to have that financial responsibility of a building right now. I believe we could. I believe the Lord's saying, yeah, you, you can have that if you want it. But if we do that, I feel that it's going to weigh us down in some areas corporately. Too much to where we can't do the things that we like to do. I mean, I, there, there, there's times, like I said, if God said empty it all, we would. Because there's times we have. There's times we've we've emptied it all and it wasn't enough to do what God said to do. And me and Ellie came up with the rest. And you won't ever hear me give names publicly about that. I don't I don't believe in that crap at all. Very rarely do I even talk about it. If any time a big financial decision, I don't just decide what to do with the money. I don't take any money, I don't take salary, none of that. The majority of everything that comes into Caneland, y'all so. And the number wise comes from comes from me and Ellie. And I don't take a salary or, or anything like that. And if there's any times with with money that we decide to do big stuff with, which is pretty regularly, I run it by Brother Dale, Miss Kim, and Preacher Timothy. So that way, that way everybody's on the same page. And but I mean, there, I mean, we we gave over four thousand dollars away around Christmas, over four thousand dollars away, just to, to as the word of the Lord to help people to buy their kids Christmas. I mean, there's been times and that, that was out of the church fund. There's times where God has told us, you know, you know, buy people cars. There's been times where he said, help this person buy their car, help with their down payment. We've done that many times. We've paid light bills. We've paid. I mean, there's, there, there's a lot. There's times where, you know, we gave a lot, emptied the, the, the bank account to help somebody get their, get their vehicle back. That was repoed. And I believe the church about twenty five hundred, I think, in the in the church account, and we emptied that out, and me and Ellie put the other twenty five hundred in that. And um, there's things that that we wouldn't be able to do that I believe are a big deal if we got a building right now. And it's almost like Lord saying, "You can choose. Do you want a building? Because right? I mean, we we could we could buy a building right now." We could Pay somebody to do the carpet, painting, the whole nine. I mean, I've there was a building that that I had met at that I told y'all about. Had I met out there, they were getting everything, you know, signed and, and ready to go. And last minute, I told them I was like, I don't, I don't think this is the right move for us right now. So that kind of where we're at with that. As I mentioned, getting a building, I felt from the Lord we could, but I, but I felt from Him that He has something better if we wait. 
And I'll be honest, it's not something, getting a building is not like what other people, I don't view it as what some other people view it as. I don't view it as a step of achievement to officiate a church. Because it that I don't want to get a building. Because I know it opens up the door for a lot. A lot of people that want to come play church and everything, and they won't last in this. I will, I will make them leave. This, we're able to kind of, it creates more of a screen door. And, and getting a building isn't something like I'm like chomping at the bits like a lot of, a lot of preachers are at times. If it was just about a building, if it was just about having, growing numerically, to have a lot of people in a lot of place in, in one place for me to preach to. If it was just about that, I, I, for one, we would have got the bill. We would have said, we're going for it. And number two, to be honest, if, if it was just about that stuff, I don't talk about it. If it was just about that, I wouldn't be doing this. I've got an offer on the table and, and have had an offer on the table at least for the past couple months, weeks or months or so from a very large, a church that has a, top of the line facility just built a five six hundred seat auditorium sanctuary has the the spot cleared on their land or has the land ready and the blueprints drawn for another for an auditorium that sits two thousand after that and from the senior pastor have open invitation offer on the table i could make a phone call tonight and by tomorrow move up there and, and be on staff in another state as pastor. So it's not something that it ain't for me. If, if it was just an ego play, I would run up there. But, but I, I, the primary reason, so financially is not the main reason. It's not the primary reason. I'm not getting to know it. The primary reason after a lot of prank over this, the primary reason for not taking this right step that doesn't seem to be for right now is because of culture, which is kind of what we're just going to talk tonight about cultivating culture. Like I said, this is more just going to be a family talk tonight. I'm going to read from some of my notes here. I am very jealous to guard, very jealous to guard and to continue saying yes to God, for him to grow what we have internally. You know, I'm not looking for a hundred Loras or a hundred Savannahs. I'm looking for a hundred percent of Laura to know she is loved. I'm looking for a hundred percent of Savannah to know she is loved. I'm not looking for my intention in pastoring this and leading this is not quantity. It is truly quality. And what we have here, whether people see it or not, is a really big deal. What we have here currently, and I haven't put much emphasis on it, because I'm, I'm still discovering it myself because it, it's very new to me. The, the, the nature of what God is organically growing here with a handful is very, very new to me. 
Very new to me. I was never around a home church model. I've never been around a church period that people are literally willing to go regularly on a Saturday night to give up their Saturday night and to, to sit in somebody's living room and for hours. I've never been into a church period where people are okay going the length that our meetings normally last. Accompanied by the openness between the people and the Lord to then encounters and people laying in the floor and all of that. And then after all of that, after however many hours, four, five, six hours we've gone to then want to want to stay and hang out and eat and all that. It's very new to me. So I haven't put a lot of emphasis on this because in some of the nature of our meetings, because I had no grit for it. And what we have is a is a petri dish, if you will, a sample size of a unique expression of the kingdom in our midst, known as and seen as our culture. The culture here at Canaan Land. The Bible would say despise not the day of small beginnings. I've seen people quote that, but they, they despise the day of small beginnings because it's small. Because they can't see that it's, they can't look at the acorn seed and see the tree inside of it. And one major way people, especially preachers a lot of times, will deny, despise the day of small beginnings is seen in that they are rushing to get to a destination that they think is big. To truly not, to, to, to not despise the day of small beginnings is to accept that it's small and allow God to grow it without me trying to rush it. Does that make sense? And what I don't want is us moving into a building, having more, more people come that don't know our culture that carry a more, just what they've been taught, a very churchy culture. And allow that to begin to swallow up or overshadow this culture that is small, that God is is growing and cultivating here. I want others to come into this and they, they get converted, I mean, born again, but also converted and baptized into a culture. And we're, and we're going to talk about why that's, why, why that's a really big deal. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying you can't even invite people here. I mean, I would warn them. I would give them a heads up. Hillary last week, and she's not here tonight, she doesn't make it. Hillary last week brought, brought a friend. And Hillary, or Ellie texted me and said, hey, so-and-so's, Hillary wants to bring a, bring a friend. Is that okay? And I said, yeah. And I almost said, you need to tell her to give the boy a heads up. And but I was like, no, I'm, I'm sure she's going to. She didn't. But so he walks in because it, it's one. I mean, let's be honest. You say, hey, let's go to church on a Saturday. Well, that's kind of weird. But OK, we'll go to church on Saturday. And then you show up in my driveway and they're like, what's what's happening? And then they're going to walk in and then they're going to see me in a weird, weird collar and boots and everything. And, and, we, and you know, what? I, and I'm screaming and yelling and all this weird stuff. And. It's good to preference. I'm just gonna, that's not like I'm telling you to do that. I'm just giving you some friendly advice. So that way, if you want to stay friends with the person, you might want to tell them. But, um, but she invited him and got, he got rocked. 
came to the front and got born again. It was amazing. Sean, Haley's boyfriend now, Sean, when, when he first came down, she didn't really warn him too much. She let him listen to a few podcasts, which is good. He got rocked. Obviously, that happened. And, we, and, and, it, and he got, uh, which it wasn't me, his spiritual father, but was the spiritual father, his spiritual father at the time, poured oil all over the dude's head. And it, he freaked out because he said it was, he didn't know what was going on. He, he, and it felt like fire running down his face. And so I don't know what, just warn him. You're totally okay to invite them. I do warn them. But I'm good. like, it's good though. You give it a chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So since you that's good. And and we, we had a guy come. Somebody brought somebody last time, or a, or a few few meetings ago. And this individual, you know, he's he's you know walks in his guy and he's he's trying to put a good foot forward and everything. But you can tell it's kind of fake. But trying to put a good foot forward and everything, I can appreciate that. And is you know sitting you know sitting front and just you know smiling all that and acting very. Good. Dude got rocked. Dude got. Rock to where, like, at the end, he takes that, my pillow over there, that's that's a long pillow. That is a small but a long pillow. Is sitting where you are, Laura. And he's a little buff. He's got some muscle to him. Is sitting there, like, hyperventilating, freaking out, shaking, hyperventilating, not knowing what's going on. Had only been in church a couple of times. And and I asked the person, the brown, I said, did, did you warn him? She said, no, what, what's there to warn him about? This is this is church. Okay. Look, that's fine. Took that pill, though, and I didn't know you physically could do that with, with that object. He crumbled it into a ball and was sitting there squeezing it into a ball, rocking back and forth, tears going down, shaking and all this stuff. So then at the end, you know, we're going to eat because we've been here forever, so we feed everybody. And he's still sitting there. And the individual that brought him came up to me she said can you go talk to him he's he's still sitting over there i was like yeah you just why don't you just go ahead and eat? so i sit down i said hey bud <laughs> he's, he's always about maybe a little younger than me probably mid-20s or so i said hey bud you, you all right because he spaced out like he doesn't he can't even form words he said that that, that was a lot i said yeah it, it can be a lot <laughs> he said what happened i, said, I don't know I said, you good? He said, I don't know. I said, you, you need to get some food in you, okay? So you don't pass out, you need to get some food in you. And I had to explain to him that's normal. He's like, what is happening to me? I was like, it's, it's good. He's like, it's good? I said, yeah, it's good. You're okay. He went and got food, but didn't hardly talk the rest of the night. So I would preference invite people. But I'm okay with people, with y'all inviting people. What I'm saying is I don't want the ratio to outnumber right now where we're at. Does that make sense from a cultural standpoint? Because as we, we mentioned a little bit ago with sustainability from a financial standpoint, I am seeing that culture creates a greater and true sustainability. I'm seeing culture as a, as a true key in a way that I've never seen it before and need seeing culture as a true key and need for discipling those that get converted. That being converted and baptized into an expression of the culture of the kingdom actually is what allows for a greater stability and longevity in our walk with the Lord. We would say before, when somebody got saved, you know, find you a good Bible believing church, brother, which I which I agree with. 
But it's more than that. It's find, find you a culture of the kingdom and get acquainted with it. Because it's the only thing that, one of the only ways that truly brings about a consecration to that convert. It teaches, because we individual gets born again, they have to learn how to relive life. If they don't have a culture of others that, that are farther along than them, or maybe right where they're at, or maybe right behind them, it brings about some delays in their development. And I don't want to sacrifice or forfeit even the small sample size, the seed form of culture that we have. Sacrifice or forfeit this which is in seed form for the sake of trying to rush to achieve what others may view the next step of ministerial success as. That makes sense? And I, like I said, tonight's going to uh, just lock in with me because I don't want to get real loud or anything like so This is more of just, just we're going to have a little talk tonight. And there's examples of the, the need and function of cultivating culture all throughout Scripture. Abraham, we've talked about it before. Abraham and Isaac in the book of Genesis. We all know the story of Abraham takes bringing Isaac up to the mountain to sacrifice him to God because God told him to. But then God provides a ram at the top of the mountain and Abraham sacrifices the ram. And through that encounter, God's name of Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, is revealed to him, which means the Lord provides. Many have preached, and I did years ago as well, many have preached that God was testing Abraham, testing him his faith. I don't believe that at all. I used to preach that, and everybody preached that. I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that one bit. First off, first off, if that's the case, I mean, and probably even without that, I mean, no, no. I've bailed out on other things God told me to. I'd have bailed out on that one too. I don't believe God was testing his faith. But that's the only understanding that you have when you don't have kingdom realities or see through a kingdom perspective. I don't believe that God was testing his faith because Paul tells us in Romans chapter four, like we've been in, that when God found Abraham, he was an uncircumcised Gentile. If I was to tell you, if I was to say, think of Abraham, nobody thinks of Abraham as a Gentile. But when God found him, Paul tells us in, in Romans chapter four, that he was just like everybody else. That he was an uncircumcised Gentile, that through the grace of God and faith, he was made the righteousness of God and was called the father of faith and the founder of Judaism. Right? So Abraham was raised, raised in a place, and he was raised in from Earl of Chaldeus, okay, which is in the lower part of Mesopotamia. When you read the Bible, you have to look at the progression of people, the journey of it, of what people went on. So he's from the lower part of Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia had over 400 known religions in his day, all false religions in his day, worshiping pagan gods. Okay? All of those religions believed in human sacrifice. And all of those religions believed that the purest and greatest sacrifice of a human sacrifice that you could give was a child. 
So, so God meets, I believe what happened, God, God meets Abraham in Abraham's current understanding of the worship that is accustomed to his culture. God meets him there, meaning human sacrifice, because that, that was an act of worship, because that's all Abraham has known. And through the, that encounter, the whole intention of that, I believe, is God teaching Abraham how different he is. I don't believe that it was God testing Abraham to see, will you kill your son for me? What? If we just take a minute and step back and quit just accepting everything because it has a religious name on it, and let's just take it to the Lord for a minute. And if we understand Abraham's backstory here, understand his raising, understand that he didn't know God before this. He was a Gentile. And his culture that he was in, was baptized and raised in, was one that was surrounded by human sacrifice. Human sacrifice was the cultural norm as it related to worship. Like if I say worship now, immediately we think of songs. In that day, if you were to say worship, immediately they would think of human sacrificing. So you've got a man that God takes and says, I've got to teach him my nature. I've got to show, I've got to cultivate and show him my culture. So I'm going to meet him where, because he can, it's easy for him to hear me say, sacrifice your son. He was expecting that to a degree. That was normal to him. So God meets him where he's at to bring him out, to show him a new way of life and culture. And at the end of it, God shows him and reveals to him that his name is Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. So at the end of that encounter, Abraham gets to the top of that mountain and finds out that it's not up to me to be providing these sacrifices. God, you provide the sacrifices. So it's, it's a new way of thinking. It's a new learning the nuances and nature of God. And he's baptizing him into a new way of life or culture. And I believe the reason that and, and that is crucial, a crucial part of Abraham's journey is because Abraham is on a journey. He's on a journey to partner with God to father a nation. To be able to do that, God had to begin to cultivate a culture through him, through Abraham that reflected more of the true nature of God, which would be the infrastructure to that community or nature or, or nation. Without Abraham understanding that Yahweh's the one who provides the sacrifice, without him understanding that, if that's not then you've got entire nation that's coming out of Abraham. The Jewish people are all going to believe what the current culture says about gods that they like human sacrifices. And then they can't hear, they can't believe, they can't hope for a Messiah to come. At that point, they would think 
the Messiah would have to come, that they would have to produce the Messiah. But God is setting up, taking Abraham on a journey, cultivating a new way of life, a new culture that would ultimately allow them to believe that the Messiah would come and to learn that God is different than he is. Why? Because the nature of who they believe God to be would impact their nation of how they do life. Does that make sense? So Noah, another example in the Bible is Noah. Noah spends between, most credible theologians believe that Noah spent between 80 and 120 years. 80, Noah spent between 80 and 120 years building the ark. Not that that was his whole life. That was just the time that he spent building the ark. He invested between 80 and 120 years to build something that only eight people would be a part of. Seven not including himself. And all of them were family. The man spends between 80 and 120 years building something that only eight people would be a part of. Between 80 and 120 years of being mocked, being ridiculed. And only eight people would be a part of it. Seven not including himself. And all seven were family, were natural family to him. How, how are you content? When I look at Noah's Noah's life, my question is, how was he content to spend between 80 and 120 years building something that only eight people would be a part of, seven not including himself, and not view that as a complete, that his, his entire work and ministry as a complete failure? How? You do that because you are able to see the significance of the seed. You're okay spending between 80 and 120 years of your life building something that only eight people will be a part of, seven not including yourself. If you can see that the seven on the ship, that the handful that is in the ship is enough to repopulate the entire globe. Because that's what happened. When they get off, it's only them. That ark was actually, it was, it, was, it was an incubator of a new way of life, a new world. It was up to them to decide how would they live now. You're okay spending, investing everything in just a handful. The only way you're okay with that is if you actually believe and if you actually can see the seed in a handful to say, yeah, I know it's just a few, but cultivating the culture in just a few can transform this whole globe. What we've been reading about inside the revelation of righteousness that we've been receiving and teaching about that out of Galatians. Even with this revelation of righteousness that we are receiving and have been teaching. So Paul speaking to the Galatians, the reason we have that letter, the reason we're able to receive from that teaching in a biblical context is because the Holy Ghost led Paul to write to the church at Galatia. And what he was doing, if you were to sum it up, 
Paul is reinforcing the culture of the kingdom to the group of people known as the church in this in the place of Galatia. He's reinforcing the culture with realities and truth of the kingdom. He tells them in, in he tells the church in Galatians chapter 2 of how he confronted the apostle Peter. And the and the reason why he confronted the apostle Peter, he lets them know that he confronted him from what he says to Peter's face publicly. Because Peter was eating with Gentiles that didn't follow the Jewish customs, and it was okay. But when Peter's Jewish friends, who did follow different eating customs, showed up, Peter, the Bible says, withdraw himself from the Gentiles out of fear of how it may look. And Paul gets very, very stern with this. Paul tells us in Galatians 2 about this encounter, says that he says, I confronted Peter to his face publicly. And what he was saying, Paul said that that Peter doing that, Paul's words, that he was acting inconsistently with the gospel. If you just picture it for a minute. So we can kind of wrap our minds around this. You got the Apostle Paul. I'm going to confront Peter, the Apostle Peter, at the church that he's at and helping lead. You've got Paul openly rebuking face to face Peter, not saying, "Hey Peter, hey Peter, what? come here, man. Let's let, let's have a talk." Openly and ridicules him. And says, this is what you're doing, and it is not okay. Well, hold on now. If I'm Peter at first, if I'm Peter, if I'm Peter at first, my response is, who do you think you are, Paul? I know you're an apostle, but I walked with Jesus for three and a half years. While you were still following the the Jewish law and everything and killing us, I helped start this church. I led these people. There's a great chance Peter's the one who led them to Jesus to get saved. I was doing all of this while you're out killing us. And you're going to come to me face to face. Peter, me, face to face. And in front of everybody that I'm over, rebuke me face to face. But that wasn't Peter's response. Peter said, you're right, Paul. You're right. Why? Because because for one, Paul did that not out of ridicule or anything with, with a negative intention. His intention, because he knew that was damaging to the consistency of the culture of the kingdom of God that, that was being cultivated there. And Peter said, you're, oh, you're right. Why? Be, because it's that big of a deal. The culture is that big of a deal. Remember last last week and, and the weekend before when I said that your theology will determine your anthropology. Anthropology being the, the study of, of what makes humans human. Not from a biological sense, but from an internal 
sense, meaning relating to culture and behavior and all that stuff, and how I believe that your theology will determine your anthropology, that what you believe about God will determine how you live. Like the example we gave earlier with Abraham. Before he's brought out and encounters God, he's baptized in a culture. You've got the entire current culture believing human sacrifice is okay. If I was asked you, do you believe it is, it is okay to sacrifice your children right now? Nobody in this room would believe it. Why? Because we've learned something about God over, over, over time, humans have. But if you believe that's what God wants, you're okay with it. So your theology will determine your anthropology. And one of the main categories or areas of study inside of anthropology is cultural anthropology. Understanding and the study of, of societies and their culture and the way they do life. It's fascinating to me. And there are a few key aspects, though, that make up a culture. Three, specifically, that all anthropologists will agree. Three key basic aspects that make up a culture that we will get into in a little bit. And this is probably not going to be very, very long tonight, but it's needed. So we're going to talk about those few key aspects in a little bit later. But when I say culture, the in, inside of etymology, which is where you can study words based upon their root word meaning and all that. The root word for culture literally is to cultivate. And what that means is, and what that was used was, is to express specifically the cultivation of land to provide and produce food. So culture actually comes from the word cultivate, and cultivate came from the understanding and meaning the cultivation of land to produce fruit, to prepare the land to grow. It takes time to prepare. You can't even plant before you prepare. You have to prepare, which takes time, and then you have to plant. You see, when Canaan land's saying, if you will, is where the grapes grow. Now, that was not some like marketing thing that I tried to come up with. Okay. I know a lot of churches have, you know, pay big money for stuff like that. If they just asked Jesus, he would, he would tell them. So if you look like on our stuff on social media and everything and on podcasts and all that artwork and everything under is the phrase where the grapes grow, where the grapes grow. And that came from an encounter I had the night that the Lord told me to start Canaan that he took me, he actually took me back in time to where in the Bible, where the children of Israel were in the desert after their exodus out of Egypt. And Moses sent 12 spies into the land of Canaan to scope it out. And 10 of the spies came back with a bad report, not believing God would, would help them take the land. And But two of the spies, two of the spies came back with a good report, Joshua and Caleb, story most of us are familiar with came back with a good report, and they also brought back grapes from the land that were so big it took two men to carry. So the Lord takes me back in time during the night that he, that he said to start Canaan land and takes me back in time to see this. And I'm standing there with Jesus as it, and it was, it was real. It wasn't a dream or vision. It wasn't a vision either. We were there. And watching them carry these grapes over with this giant pole and how they, I mean, it was a huge, huge cluster of grapes. And how the grapes represented a witness of the promise. 
The grapes represented a witness of the promise, which was the land. The grapes themselves were not the main promise because the promise was a land flowing with milk and honey. They come back with grapes, which was right. But what it is, it's a witness of what the promise produces. And it's so big that it takes two to carry, specifically in that context, we're not going to talk about tonight, but what the Lord showed me was multi-generational. But how that what God was wanting, wanting this place of Canaan land to be is a place that we learn how to live in the land of the promise. Not just receive a promise, but learn a new way of life, constantly living in a place of promise, which has been initially a lot why he's he's been teaching us since since we've started over and especially even over the past year how to relive life why because he's teaching us how to live in the place of constant promise not just to receive a promise but to live in the place of promise to live in that place that produces multiple promises with him. Does that make sense? And we are being prepared, cultivated by God as he is creating in us and teaching us his way of life, his culture, so that we can be positioned in not just receiving a promise, like I said, from him, but living in a place of promise. You see, them not being willing, it was after that encounter. Because they came to the entrance of the promised land within a couple days. Sent the 12 spies in and everything. But because they couldn't perceive correctly, because they couldn't see the seed of what was available, it cost them 40 years in the wilderness. It was after that when they came back with the grapes and everything. And 10 said, no, this ain't good because they couldn't see. And two said, yeah, we can. And what happened from then at that moment, they had to wander the desert for 40 years. Why? For an entire generation to die off. Why? Because that entire generation couldn't let go of the culture of Egypt. So while they would get in spots of while of when Moses would be up on, on Mount Sinai, sometimes for multiple days at a time, they would immediately revert back to the inferior culture that God was trying to retrain them out of and make golden calves and idols and all this stuff. God said, I can't, I can't give you that land without recreating and cultivating a new culture within you. Because if you go in there, you're going to establish that place that I've promised you with an inferior culture that I have not given you. And what it will do will rob you from eating the fruit of the promise. You'll go in, Israel, you'll go into there with still the mentality of us as a slave in Egypt. So 
culture is a really big deal. And this takes time. This takes a process. You know, there's, you know, seed time and harvest. Seed time, harvest, seed time, harvest. Her preacher freaks all the time. Seed time, harvest, brother, there's a process. Seed time, harvest, yeah. It's before you get, you don't eat the fruit the day you plant the seed. And that's what people don't understand a lot of times. There is the process of time. It doesn't happen in the snap of a finger. I'll be honest, if it can happen that fast, it's not authentic. It's, it's, it's not organic. And I remember seeing, seeing at times churches explode like out of nowhere with multiple people and everything coming and all this and exploding. And I remember I'd, I'd went to preach at a church that was busting at the seams. And I went to, they brought me in to preach. I go in to preach. They had to knock down a wall to put more chairs and all this stuff. And But I sat there and I immediately, something was off. So this don't, this don't feel right. And I thought there was something wrong with me. And I talked to my spiritual father about it. And I said, I said, preacher Bobby, I don't, I don't know. I said it and there was liberty to preach. I mean, it was it was great getting up there. I mean, it was, it was I said, but I just something was felt. I don't know if I was off or anything. And my spiritual father did not know that pastor. He didn't, he didn't go there. None of it hadn't heard about it. My spiritual father looked at me and he said, It's not growing, it's swelling. So what do you mean? No, it's growing. Like they're they're knocking down walls. They're, it's moving at such a rapid pace. They can't keep chairs in there. They're having to buy chairs. I said, "What?" No, no. It, it, he said, "No." He said, Rob, "It's it's not growing. It's swelling." I said, "What are you talking about?" Because like like we were talking about earlier before before the meeting, they have different vocabulary to express things. He said, "It's like a deer on the side of the road." He said, when you see a dead deer on the side of the road, if it lays there for a bit, its stomach will swell because the gases that are released in it as it's decomposing, the first part of it, its stomach expands sometimes three times the size, which is true. And I said, yeah. He said, that's what's happening there. He said, it's not growth. It's dead and it's swelling. He said, what's going to happen? It's going to bust. He said, now when it busts, you need to be there for that pastor and help him. I said, okay. I didn't think he knew what he was talking about. Oh, you don't know, you don't know, you don't know what you're talking about. He sure did. A few months went by. Oh, church, it, it was a mess. It was a mess. Most church left. It was horrible. It was horrible. But I've learned that real rapid growth is, it's, I mean, when God does it, it's, it's amazing. But if it's, but most times, it burns out faster than it got lit. And I don't want that. that. There's no longevity in that. That's not the kingdom. Many churches attempt to create community without first saying yes to allowing God to cultivate a culture there. You can have a community without a unified culture. And I'll explain that just in a, a little later. 
But what happens when you have a community without culture is you are attempting to create an external structure with an insufficient infrastructure. In doing so, what you're doing in essence is you're trying to produce fruit without being prepared. And it is dangerous. Extremely dangerous. They're trying to get to harvest without seed or time. They try to get fruit without any root system. And at that point, it's not organic or authentic. So we've talked just a little bit about how scratching the surface of how culture is crucial. Now, real quick, let's talk about fundamentally some aspects of what makes a culture a culture. And also, what is a subculture and then how does that play into our call to transform the culture around us as being countercultural? So, real quick, what makes a culture? Three main aspects that make a culture. This is not my opinion. I agree with it. But it's not just something I, I decided and looked at and said, I think these are three. No, these are anthropologists that study culture. These are the three aspects, the three main points that connect and create a culture. Language, values, and beliefs. Language, values, and beliefs fundamentally are foundationally the makeup of a culture. Language shapes culture. An example for that, the word moo. If you were to ask someone who primarily spoke Spanish or only spoke Spanish, bless you. If you were to ask them to describe the moo, they are more likely to describe it with feminine characteristics. They would say the moon is, is, is beautiful. The moon is elegant. They would describe it with, with character, feminine characteristics. But if you were to ask someone who only spoke German to describe the moon, they are more likely to describe it with masculine, char- masculine characteristics. They would say, you know, it's large, it's rugged. Etc. They would describe it with masculine characteristics. The reason is, is because like most languages, Spanish and German words are often times either in a feminine or masculine context. So the word moon in the Spanish language is feminine. The word and the word moon in German is masculine. See how language affects how you see things. The one who, who, is, who speaks Spanish, they view the moon even as they see it in a feminine light. They all but put a gender on it. Isaiah is really excited about this. Yes. Yeah. Their language influences how they see the object of the moon. 
one season in a feminine sense, the other in a masculine sense. Language gives us a grid of sorts and shapes our culture. And as we know, like we've talked about a lot here, our perception determines our reality. Language actually is what helps create the foundation for us to learn. So again, Abraham was actually, in our example earlier with Abraham, he is actually learning the language of God. I'm scratching the surface out of all of this, and we will probably dive into it later on another time. But again, with our, with our example earlier with Abraham and Isaac, what is actually happening, he's learning the language of God. Not just that God's name is Jireh, but understanding what it actually means from what we talk about experiential theological standpoint of that God will supply. So he's learning the language of God through the encounter we mentioned earlier with him on, on the mountain with Isaac. And that's one of the roles of encounters. That's why here we do heavy teaching and make space for personal encounters. Like I said, tonight is more, it's not like, you know, blowout and all this stuff. And what I'm, I'm just talking tonight to giving some, there, everything we do here is intentional. Everything. And I feel it is, it is permitted now to, on some areas, discuss what we're doing and why we do it. Because every single thing we do here is completely intentional. Down to even when we meet and how we meet. And we're going to talk about that in, in, in a little bit even our meetings, and we're going to talk about kind of why they are the way they are on Saturdays and also why it's not every week and why we have meetings some weekend and not meetings other weekends. We're going to talk about that. It's not based upon my convenience, okay? It's not. It's not.